Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Biblioscapes in Discussion. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by American photographer, uh, Rolf Horn. Good evening, Rolf. Good morning, in fact. I think it's 11 o'clock of your time. Good evening to you. Good morning to me. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, Rolf. It's a pleasure to have you have you join me today. So for those of you who don't know, Rolf is a photographer based over in Oakland in California. And um, we're going to be talking about a couple of his books. He's got many books, um, of which I've got two, uh, Landscape and Shinjo Sui, which I've probably pronounced wrong, but maybe I've not. Um, so before we go on to talking about the books and Rolf's work in general, Rolf, it'd be great if you could maybe give us an introduction to you, to your, to your photographic journey. Sure thing, Ewan. Um, well, I was uh, born in the California and raised in California. Yeah. Uh, I picked up my first camera at a garage sale when I was about seven or eight years old. It was right. two bucks, two dollars, and uh, it took a really odd format, a 127 film. <laughs> and I think I did about four or five rolls through that, and I yeah. couldn't afford it <laughs> on my salary of doing uh, picking up leaves in my parents' backyard. So. <laughs> Uh, I put it down for a while. And then when I was 15, I rediscovered photography. Uh, I had a paper route at the time and yep. I bought a camera that had a motor drive. And I started taking some pictures of my friends skateboarding because that was kind of the rage back then. Yep. And um, I kind of realized quickly that film and developing and printing is expensive. So I took a small area of my dad's workshop and built up a wall took all his stuff out of it and started building a dark room. Cool. And my dad came home and said, what the hell are you doing, son? And I said, I'm building a dark room. <laughs> I'm going to develop a film. So when I was 15, I just, I built a really basic dark room. I had a garden hose that came in for my water. Yep. I got a $50 enlarger and uh, away I went. Excellent. And I was pretty hooked at, uh, from, from an early age. And, uh, uh, of course, it went from, you know, photographing the action sports, the skateboarding and such to I love going out for hikes. Yeah. And I photograph trees and rocks and streams and oceans and things like that. So it, it kind of just continued on. And I, I got a job at a camera store. Yeah. And then I started working for a commercial photographer to learn more of the commercial aspects of cool. photography. Yeah. And uh, eventually culminating and going to a photography school out here in Santa Barbara called Brooks Institute of Photography. Okay. And that was, that was back when it was a smaller school. Yeah. Uh, I think there was about 12 people in my class. So it was a really small community there. And you learn a lot about analog photography. Yes. Uh, digital wasn't really around so much then. <laughs> um, so it, it was a pretty good thing. Uh, and. I did try to start a digital photography company after Brooks thinking I would make my fortunes in uh, doing uh, what was known as QuickTime VR back then. Okay. It's uh, interactive photography. It's yeah. also known as Google street view now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but back then the internet was too slow and there people didn't want to do it. So yeah. um, I reached out to a, a photographer that I just, uh, been acquainted with through through a book yeah um Anna, and i found the phone number in the phone book and i called and left a message and then he called me back and met me for lunch and then a couple of weeks later he asked me if i wanted to assist him Very nice. so i said sure and so i worked for him for about two and a half years 
while building my own uh, landscape portfolio and, and working with galleries. And yeah, so that's that's kind of the short, brief history. Yeah. And then obviously now you, you do much of your own work and you've had several books published, obviously, in Israeli press. I've, I think I've published a couple of them, um, yeah. which, which they're very hard to find. So anyone who's listening to this, probably don't bother trying to find them because I've tried and I've not been successful. Um, but you obviously have published a couple of books through Blurb, uh, Shinjo Sui, which is a big, uh, big, large Ooh. format book, I think, mm-hmm. of Japanese photography and obviously landscape as well, um, which again is really, really nice. Um, so yeah, I, I picked these books up a short time ago and I I really, I really, really liked your work. It was a... Uh, Jason Langer and Bruce Percy both uh, both recommended your name to me, so that's where I kind of first came across it. But uh, but no, I, I, I your your style of photography is very much exactly what I like. Um, I, the black and white, and I really like the very much the the, co- the contrast that you've created and the, con- the the stories that you tell within your work. So <clears throat> I'd, I'd be really just interested to know, maybe more a bit about the. I suppose you, your approach to your photography and, and what you're looking for when when you when you look at your work, they're very they're, they're beautiful, very very beautiful shots. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that when I go out to photograph, some sometimes I will do some research online through a Google Earth or something to find locations. Yeah. But more often than not, it's just being out there and seeing things. Yeah. Uh, either on a hike or you're driving along the road. And you just something see something out of the corner of your eye and you have to turn around and go back. And sometimes there's something really interesting and sometimes there's not. But yeah. more often than not, I think some of the best photographs that I feel that I've made are the ones that aren't planned. Yes. It's always just being at the right place at the right time. Um, because if you do go out to try and photograph a certain object or a certain, like, say, half dome in Yosemite, the weather might not be good and you might have to wait three, four, five, six days to try and get what you think, you know, you want, and it may, might not happen. So it's yeah. better just to keep an open mind and go find, with go with the flow and find things that, that you find are interesting. And I do like the, the more simplistic images, some simple compositions. Yeah. Now it could be something as simple as a tree on a hillside, or you could be in a, a forest grove, but as long as the image has a cohesiveness that's a simplistic element, I mean, you could have a thousand branches going everywhere, yeah. but if they make a simple element or a simple flow, that's kind of the, the job that, that I like to try and do, yeah. is distill out what, in, in the scene, what is important, and you know what's the, what's the main actor, and what's the supporting cast, and what's the foreground, and what's the background. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking through your book, and I was speaking to my wife earlier, uh, Shinjo Sui. Um, Shinjo Sui. Yeah, been very fortunate to have been to Japan many times myself as well, and really just brought back all the memories of travel of traveling around Japan and just the beautiful, simple, simplistic nature of the country as well comes through in your work and it was it was it was really looking it was when we were looking through just talking about the images it's it's the way you set you set the stage beautifully for as you say something nicely in the foreground be it a tree or a rock or or just a lovely leading pier Um, and it it really just brings back such lovely memories of traveling around japan and of the the japanese countryside which is which really suits minimal photography or a more minimal style of photography very well i think 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the the the, the backcountry in Japan is really beautiful. Uh, there's small little towns that tourists don't even go to, but they yeah. set up the little terrace rice fields and they position the rice the the old way that they would dry them. You know, they're not going to use this rice for consumption, but they do it for a visual aesthetic to anybody who's passing, passing by. by. Yeah. And so you, you you get this whole this whole culture is just kind of a visual culture, and they want to please people who are just traveling by, not necessarily tourists, but just they want it to look beautiful. Yeah. And in Japan, the the the, the manhole covers on the streets. Yeah. I don't know if you recognize, but they're different in every town, and they're yes. always they're always beautiful little works of art yeah as are ours as ours are as are the fire hydrants that sit at the side of the road as well there it's just yeah. the attention to detail paid to everything in japan that just makes everything slightly different and slightly unique yeah it's got a really interesting aesthetic to their approach towards i guess uh life you know um yeah. the yeah the the way that the they might have two rocks in the ocean and they put a rope between them that represents the, the sun God and the sun goddess. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of little aesthetics that, that are particular to that country. Yeah. And you don't see it here in the States. I, I don't think you see it in other parts of Europe. No, no, yeah. there, there's a lot that's just very, I, th- I always feel there's a lot that's just very unique to Japan and to the Japanese culture. That, yeah. It, that you, that I don't think. You, I think even if you tried to replicate it elsewhere in the world, it wouldn't have the same effect as it does as it does in Japan. Right. No. And uh, another thing I really enjoyed about Japan was the freedom I had when photographing landscapes. I could uh, trespass or yeah. just walk on the land, and um, the if it's a farmer. He would be curious as to, oh, you're, oh, my farm's this beautiful that you're taking a picture of it. I'm yes. so honored. Yeah. Uh, here in the States, uh, I usually end up looking at the end of a shotgun saying, get, get off my property. <laughs> what are you doing here? And why yes. are you taking pictures? Yeah. So it's a completely reversed role. Uh, there's no animosity over there. They, people yeah. are generally, you know, humbled by that you're taking photographs of their land, yeah. which yeah. is really refreshing. Yeah, they're interested and curious as to what you're doing as opposed to suspicious about what you're doing, which, um, which as you say, yeah, makes such a, a refreshing approach and makes a, makes a, such an enjoyable experience. I've done, a, I've done a bit of photography in Japan. Most of it's been on holidays and stuff like that, but it's an area I'd love to go back to and photograph more because I just find there's, there's something so vastly unique about Japan in every different town or village you go to. You don't necessarily need to go to the middle of nowhere to, to get some of the true Japanese photography that we're used to, we're used to seeing that's represented. Oh yeah, even even in some of the the in Tokyo, there's small little parks with just the most beautiful, um, you know, gardens, uh, ponds, and trees, and yeah, and they're they're all maintained really well. Uh, you, you know, just like everything is very Immaculate. beautiful over there. Yeah, yeah, and I think that goes back to, you know, the the a thousand years, the the samurai and the aesthetic of, you know, the gardens that they would build back then. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really neat. It's, it's kind of like the, the formal gardens in France, for instance. You know, yes, um, it's a beautiful aesthetic, and yeah. uh, the people were really nice over there, and it's a very safe country to visit for sure. 
yeah, absolutely. So obviously you've 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 published and printed many books. What really gives you the inspiration and the ideas behind some of your your projects? If we take Shinjo Sui as an example, what what's the what's the story and the message you're 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 trying to convey to 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 the to the viewer? Because I just find I find the body of work really flows so beautifully. But I'm really interested to know what 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 it is you're trying to get across. Well, that book was a, a culmination of three different trips to Japan, yeah. and it's uh, broken into three sections. Yeah. The, the first trip was in 2001, second trip in 2004, and then the, the third trip was in 2008. And I wanted to do a book just on Japan works because of, uh, I, I, I do like the, the subject. Yes. And uh, Nazareli Press had done a lot of books with Michael Kenna in yeah. Japan. At the time, so um, the gallery director of Scott Nichols Gallery in San Francisco at the time recommended I try Blurb. Yep. And she said, "Why don't you just do something like that?" Yep. And uh, you know, you print some, and then you can send some out to some different other publishers, and you know, uh, you know, maybe you can find another publisher that way. So uh, I put together this, you know, a dummy, and then I went onto the Blurb website and put it together and printed it and I thought it looked pretty good and I I never got around to sending it to other publishers. <laughs> I, I, uh, fr frankly, having looked through it, I'm, I'm amazed that you've not sent it to other publishers, but I have to say the the print quality of it, it really is absolutely superb, but I, I love, I love the variety of images that, uh, that, that you, that you present particularly particularly the contrast in from the blacks and the whites as well. The whites in particular really, really stand out and really define the subject matter that you're shooting, which I, which I think is beautifully done and executed. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, um, the, the technical aspects of the book was I, I, I scanned everything from a gelatin silver print on a right. flatbed scan. Yep. And of course, uh, in Photoshop, you adjust the levels and you do all the technical things and, uh, I would print out the first book and then I realized that with their printing press, it might be too red yeah. or too orange. And then I make corrections to all the images and then print another one. Yeah. And um, until it got, it looked right. And then I just left it from there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that the, it's important to have a good tonal range Absolutely. with a book. Um you know, some of the old Ansel Adams books that were printed by Gardner Lithograph were incredible. Uh, yeah. Some of the John Sexton books with the six different inks, including silver. You know, you look at some of these books, uh, the images in the books, then you look at the silver print on the wall and the image in the book sometimes looks better than the one on the wall. I could yeah. I don't want I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> I want the, the, the final print to look better than the ones in the book. Yeah. So, so um, you know, but you do want them to look good and, and representative in the book, for I, sure. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I think I think it's an important. I think it's an important thing, as you say. You you've you've put such time and effort and dedication to producing the, the body of work that um, I think yeah, you want to ensure that it represents what 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 the what the 
print should look like as, as close as possible. As you say, in today, it's it's quite hard to get it uh, looking better than the print. And as you say, the print should always look better. But uh, but no, I, th- I think I think that the quality of the the work really comes across in 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 the blurb print. Um, I don't have I, don't, I actually don't have many blurb books, but um, I was certainly delighted when I saw. It. And also, I really like the size and the format of it. I think it works so well for. For the, for the detail that really comes across, obviously your shooting is a medium format. I think it is, um, but no, yeah, the the, the detail and the, and the contrast in the prints works works so well. Um, the blacks in particular really come across nicely, and I think that it's the contrast that really attracts me to so so much of your work. Yeah, thank you very much. The um, with black and white uh, photography, you know, it is about the contrasts. Yeah. Uh, the light to dark, uh, yeah. the luminosity as well. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most difficult things with black and white is trying to achieve a luminous image, meaning that it looks good under bright light or it looks good under dim light. Um, yeah. Usually if you have a bright light on something, it looks good. Then you put a candle light up to it, it. Everything goes dark. You don't want that. You want it to look good under all lighting conditions, which is uh, contrast, uh, but also the relationships of tones together, highlights to shadows, highlights yeah. to mid tones. And if you can achieve that in a, a, a typical gelatin silver print, which is a handmade darkroom print, yeah, um, then it's going to come through when you scan it and then you put, print it to a book. And Blurb does do a good job with their printing. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know what kind of machines they use, if it's Heidelberg or or if they use Canon or Hewlett Packard or something like that, but they do do a good job with it. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was happy with it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Really nice. And, and in terms of, in terms of when you, when you sat down, how much, uh, how much of a challenge was sequencing the body of work that you put together? Was, did it come naturally to you or, or was it something that you spent quite a bit, quite a bit of time on and collaborate with anyone else? Or did you do it yourself? It's something that I definitely spent some time on um, yeah. and I, I did it mostly myself. Uh, what I would do is I would take, uh, I would have prints of everything and then yeah. put together a dummy, uh, yeah. basically the size of the book that I wanted on, I'd have the paper that size and then I put the images in Yes. and I'd start sequencing them. Yeah. It takes out, put some in, yeah. switch them around and see how they sequence because with a, with a book, it's like a portfolio. Yeah. And sequencing is very important. Sometimes you might have two images that don't go together because they're too similar. Yes. Or, you know, maybe one's too strong versus the on the facing page. So you, you know, you have to decide, <clears throat> do I just leave it as a single image for both spreads or do I want to put more pictures in? Um, so the sequencing does take some time. You have to put it, do it put it down for a week, come yeah. back to it, look at it again and say, Oh my God, that's all wrong. <laughs> Take it out, start over again. Yeah. So I, I think I worked on it for three or four months yeah. in sequencing. And then, uh, in the blurb program, uh, I put it out, put it together and you get to see the little, you know, the pages and how they go together. And then I would sometimes reorganize them a little bit in there, put it down for a few days, look at it again with fresh eyes. Yeah, because sometimes if you look at something too much, you kind of lose you know perspective. 
yeah. in a certain way because it, it can be frustrating. It can be maddening. You know, put it down, yeah. forget about it, come back with fresh eyes, maybe a different mindset as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're looking at something for so long, your eyes begin to kind of override and tell you what you think you're seeing as opposed to what you actually really should be seeing. And, and, and as you say, having a wee break for a period of time just allows you to come back with a different perspective and a fresh look over it. And, and sometimes at that point, things will automatically jump out at you. As you say, oh, those two those two images don't sit well opposite each other and actually just a, a, a shifting them around a couple of pages apart can really begin to change and, and emphasize the, the work as well far more. Yes. Oh, I agree with you there. Yeah. The If you have too many trees in one section, it's good to maybe break up the trees. Of, yeah. Uh, and then there's also the, the juxtaposition of complete opposites. I, I, I don't do a yeah. lot of people photography, but some photographers will have landscapes, street scenes, people, everything mixed into one. And I think that that would be the diff, most difficult ones to sequence. Um, with the with the landscapes, it's uh, it's a little bit easier in the editing as well. Yes. Uh, what what not to put in there? I think each of these trips, I had about forty or so final images. Right. But for that book, I think I edited it down to about fifteen or something like that. Yeah. So which ones do I leave out? Which ones do I leave in? That yeah. was a, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, you have to be quite you have to be quite ruthless at times, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and sometimes you're your own worst editor. Yeah. Um, I, I did show the book to a couple of friends who gave me some thoughts. Yeah. And um, you know, I I I I, I considered some of them and uh <laughs> Some of them said, oh, no, you got to put in this one. I said, well, but that one is just a little bit too, too much for, for this book. I think it's it's yeah. so far. It, it doesn't seem to flow with the other images. Yeah. So, I th uh, yeah, I think I think that there's always a challenge that some images can work beautifully well by themselves or in a much smaller set. But actually, when you're looking at them in a larger body of work. They maybe disrupt the flow just 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 a wee bit, and and they don't sit as it, it, it unbalances it or is not as balanced as if you had actually taken that that image out. But I, I think that the body of the the sequencing that you've got, um, I really like, and I also like the fact that you come back to some scenes a couple of times with just slightly diff with just slightly different compositions or. It must. I think there's one. Um, what's it called? Is that the, uh, the 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 dusk photo, maybe? Yes. Yeah. The dusk photo. Dusk study one is Zumo, and I must uh -huh. say, I, I really like. I really like the fact that you come back with study one and then study two slightly slightly differently as well. Because when I was looking through, I was thinking, I've seen that image before, and I, and it's, right. it's it's when you then realise it's uh, it's the it's it's just slight it's slightly different. But yeah. The, the whole landscape and just the intimate details of some of the some of the gardens and then set back um i th i thought i think it just works it just works really really well and then also some of the the gardens at night with the lanterns as well again something that's just so very japanese but yeah it works so well particularly in black and white i, th I think I, th I think anyway for, for... thank you yeah the um it yeah i think it was good to keep the to do the same thing four years apart or three years apart just to see it gives you a different view and yes. uh different background like i said when i'm traveling i'm only at a certain location for maybe one night yeah. maybe two nights at the most so what nature throws at you is what you you just have to accept it 
Yeah. And that, that's what you get. Um, you know, so I might like with that, the, the dusk photo uh, on the Izumo coast, I'd go at sunrise and at sunset. Yep. And, uh, you know, and what I got is what I got. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think it was good to show, you know, that I do go back to the same, if I find something that, that is really nice, I'll go back there and revisit it again. Yeah. Well, I, I like that, but I also at the same time like the fact that you've covered such a, a vast range of areas. Uh, Koya San, I noticed as well, which is which is one place I've actually been to for a couple of nights in Japan as well, uh, which again is a, yeah. beautiful, a beautiful place up just up in the mountains with all the Buddhism temples and the graveyard and stuff like that as well. It's, it's a beautiful place and it just shows you that the variety of subject matters that you get around Japan and, and for for that matter, any country, as you say, when we were talking about it earlier on, a lot of what you find is when you're out in the strangest of places that you, it's not something you've necessarily planned for, but you, you come across it and it just works depending on what the conditions are. Yeah, yeah. The Koyasan is a, it's a, Koyasan is a area of Japan. It's a, it's a temple complex. It's basically a, yeah. a Shinto yeah. and Shingon, Shingon uh, Buddhism. And it's just all the, Places you stay are temple inns, you know, they, yeah, the you monks. stay at the temples. Yeah. And um, it's it's a huge place. You you can walk around it for a month and still not see everything, probably. Yeah, I would imagine so. It's beautiful. And the the lanterns, I think the there was a, a Japanese photographer that went there. They needed color work, and that's kind of what inspired me to go there. Okay, yeah. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but uh yeah, uh it just made me want to go and uh, go to some of these temples and just check it out yeah. for sure. And uh, of course the, the, you get to also unwind a little bit because at the temple ends, you can participate in the chants and yeah. the rich, some of the rituals. So you can experience what, what the, the Buddhism, the Shingon Buddhism is like and Kobo Daishi and all yeah. that whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and you just try and find a time of the year where you think the weather is going to be good for what you're doing and cross your fingers. Yeah, and hope for the so, best. And hope for the best. And, yeah, of course, some some of the most unique photographs, I think, are just when you're driving from A to B and you see something along the way. Yeah. Uh, I have some photographs of some creeks in Japan where they place these rocks in the creek in a certain fashion to change the flow of the water to upset the turbulence and it looks very artistic to me yeah and, um i think it's really interesting that they do that and, and it makes for a great subject for landscape photography yeah. it's something that that you don't one doesn't see uh in the west most western countries, countries. yeah you know yeah. they have that aesthetic where they put that put things in like that so yeah. um but yeah, the, the Kobodaishi and uh, Koyasan was really neat. It was really fun to photograph. Um, and just the, 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 the graves, the tombstones and all it's that stuff. It's incredible. The, si the size of the graveyard was 100,000, 200,000 graves or something. It's just, it's mind-blowing. It just goes on with the little red bows that are tied around the top, the nap, the neck, neck. Nick Chief's sort of thing. It's it's an incredible, incredible place, and you just get beautiful beams of light shining through as well. Yeah, and, and all in the big cedar. It's a big cedar forest up yeah. there too, and um, 
yeah, it, it, it's really neat. And then you drive an hour from there and you're down in some big major city. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, I think Japan also has a really good public transportation system yeah. Yeah. too, for such a small country, they have the bullet trains and they're really geared towards public transportation there. Yeah. I, yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, in Europe, there's some good public transportations, but not as good as Japan. Japan's incredible when it comes to transport to get around. You can you can really travel such fast areas so quickly, so easily, um, because yeah. of the way they're set up. Yeah, I, I know that in Italy, the, the the train system was not nearly as good <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a great thing about Japan is you can just get around pretty easily and pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're in Tokyo, you can be up in the mountains in Nagano in an hour or less, yeah. you know, I mean, the trains literally stop at a ski area, you the doors open, you see people getting on a lift yeah. to go skiing. Uh, and that's, that's you in a beautiful white landscape with just gorgeous trees popping up all over the place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, the Japan, the Japan trips were very very exhausting that I'm glad I did them when I was younger. I'm uh, almost 50 now. And, you know, if you're working, you're doing a sunrise sunset and traveling throughout the day, it makes up for long days and you're getting about four hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And, um, it didn't matter how tired you were. Once I start working with the camera, you kind of get this adrenaline rush and yes. everything yeah. else disappears. You don't feel tired. You don't feel exhausted. But as soon as you get done with that last exposure, it just kind of you kind of feel overwhelmed yeah. and tired and realize that you have to get and go to another, you know, you have to keep moving. Yeah. To the next find somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah, I, I realized that on my last trip that I was uh, jet lagged and it was very difficult the first few days to try and I, I can't really do the sunrise and sunset so easily anymore. <laughs> <laughs> As you get older yeah but um, I, I think i think that comes to us all but as, as you say and i think most people can know know the feeling as well when once you get up and once you're out in location with the camera as you say it's just the adrenaline and the buzz comes particularly when you're shooting somewhere new and different i think and and you know you're there yeah. and you've got a short period of time and you really want to make the most of your time you obviously had very much you were you were building up a body of work and and you want to make sure that you're making as much use of the time that you've got there because as with many places many trips they're not easy to get back to it's an expensive trip to make so you as you say you're you're working hell for leather for the full day and then once you click the shutter for the last time that day you just like kind of relax and yeah yeah and uh and also i i don't i'm not shy with taking pictures uh because i feel that you know, if I'm going to conserve film and wait for the, the hero photograph, it's not going to happen. You have to kind of warm up to it. You yes. have to start yep. making some bad pictures before you can make some good pictures. Yeah. You know, and oftentimes the reason I like the medium format as opposed to a view camera is that I could go to find a subject and work it uh, different angles, higher up, lower yep. down. Uh, left different size of it and work the subject a lot more maybe spend three or four rolls on a particular subject yes whereas with, with a view camera you know you're kind of limited to you know 
sheets of film and you don't have, you know, you're not going to have a, a thousand sheets of film to bring with you on a trip. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the medium format was a perfect blend between, you know, a 35 millimeter, which is very compact and portable and a yeah. four by five, which is not so much. So that that's the reason I like the, the medium format cameras on these trips is I could really try different angles yeah. of certain certain thing and then find the one that works or yeah. hopefully, hopefully something works. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, as you say, you've got to, once you rule out the ones that didn't work so well, it's all a process though. As you say, it's like, if you start waiting for just the perfect shot, you could be sitting there and never take a picture. Um, so actually right. you've got, you've got to come back with something. Otherwise you, you come back with nothing. It's um, yeah, there's a, there's a photograph in the, the Shinjo Sui book, the wedded rocks from 2001. And uh, I went to this location and the, before sunrise, I went to photograph these rocks. They're in the tour books. And I got there and there was probably about three or 400 Japanese photographers all set up. Um, they were all set up to my camera left. And what they were set up for was that the sun was gonna come up between the ropes in the morning. Right. So I thought, I said, oh my God, this is awful. There's, there's hundreds of photographers here. And so I just walked around to the side of them from a different angle and saw what I liked. And there was no one photographing where I was photographing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of goes to show that I guess maybe because it's a, the sun will come up between the two rocks. Everybody had to get this, that shot. Yeah. And I feel like I found something maybe a little bit different, a little bit better yes. than that. Yeah. The, the way the rocks are positioned with the rope and it just kind of flows together more. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of the first time uh, in Japan where I saw how camera crazy they are. Cut, yeah. they're in certain, certain, like you go to a temple complex and they're open at night three days a year and um, you go there and there's hundreds of photographers there taking <laughs> photographs. And it was kind of off put by, I, you know, I'm not, I, I couldn't really get photographs that I wanted to because there's so many people around. So I just go off into the back corners where no one was yes. and I'd set up a camera and look for something. And then someone would be walking behind me with their phone and just put it right on top of my camera and snap one and walk away, you know? Uh, so, you know, I always try to find the areas where there's not many people. Yeah. To well, but, but at least in Japan, one thing for sure is that they're very polite and very friendly people. So, you, you, yeah. you don't necessarily have the same arguments that you might do with photographers in other parts of the world when they're in your shot. If someone's in your shot in Japan and you ask them to move, they'll probably bow at you half a dozen times before graciously yeah. ste stepping out of the way and saying sorry. Yeah, they, they look at you and they say, is it okay to pass? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Here in, the, here in the States, at least, I don't know if it's like this... Uh, in Scotland, they people will just go right, right in the middle and just yeah. sit down and set a picnic or something. Yeah, some you know? some some people would, some people wouldn't. It's yeah, I th I think it's a it's a mixed bag. You'll always find someone who who has no no awareness of actually someone's there trying to take a photograph. But uh, yeah, you can find that everywhere. But uh, I suppose it's one of the things that we we learn to deal with. And uh, but in in terms of the books, are there any particular images that really? mean a lot to you or are particular i don't like to use the word favorites because 
I, I think that we all like generally all the images that we work, but I'm just, I'm just interested if there's maybe three or four images that you, that really mean something to you or you're particularly pleased or happy with. Um, in the Shinjo Sui book, I'd have to say that Dusk, uh, Izumu Japan in 2001 stood out to me because yeah. it was such a, an ordeal and an experience to get that particular photograph. Right. Um, yeah. Um, Dusk Study One in two two thousand one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I saw that location and uh, it was to get that view. I had to climb up about a twenty to twenty five foot tall little rock. Um, yeah. Let's see if we yeah. can see it on the camera. Yeah, I had to climb up a twenty five foot tall rock, and it was kind of raining. It was getting dark. And as I'm climbing up this rock, all these crabs started falling into my shirt and they started kind of going crazy. So I have my gear, I have crabs, all crabs falling all over me. It's muddy. I'm slipping down and I get to the top of this rock and it's about a two foot by two foot little area that I could stand. My tripod barely fit on it. Yep. And, um, and I kept, I photographed as the sun had already set and the, that exposure in the book is about a 25 minute exposure right cool. and so i'm standing on this little rock about 25 feet above the ocean and the rocks and i couldn't move and it's windy and it's raining and it was uh, quite an ordeal and, and like i talked about the the adrenaline rush it was definitely there and as soon as i got done with the last picture i said how the hell am i going to get down off this thing without <laughs> killing myself and without getting bit by more crabs or pinched you know yeah so that was kind of a that was kind of a memorable uh yeah a photograph and then in the the other book you have i think landscapes yes that one might have a photo of some goats called high ground uh 1999 i think right okay uh it's like a single goat on a stump with the the kind of like the lights coming from behind it kind of um it looks like switzerland or something i'm not sure I, i think it's in that book somewhere I probably but, will, but I'll probably just flicked past it. Yeah. But um, that was taken up here in the hills and the goats were there to control the, the, the weeds, the All right, for, yeah. for fire, fire yes. basement. And I put the, the lens through an electrified fence with the camera. And every time the wind blew, I would get electrified. Oh, right. I would get shocked <laughs> and I was worried that the film was going to get some lightning or some sort yeah. of a electrical of current through it to ruin well. it. Yeah. But that was kind of a fun one. So, you know, I was getting uh, elec- electrocuted for my work. Yeah. <laughs> the, th- the, th- the, th- the things we do, the things we do for a good photograph. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all part of it though. Right. I mean, you, you're going to, whether you're a professional or an amateur, I mean, I still consider myself kind of an amateur, a hobbyist, because once you consider yourself a professional, it's just like you don't really work as hard anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to keep, keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. Try and do. And who was it? Uh, Stieglitz said, uh, do something photographically every day. Yeah. You know, and you become a better photographer. You know, look at a book, uh, study the light. You know, even if you don't take a picture, do something where you're studying photographic. Yes, you know, 
So yeah, because you uh, you you always expand your knowledge and your understanding, and it's it's just small it's, it's small minor improvements day by day by day all helps over the course of a long period of time to just imp- improve your improve anyone's work for that matter. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, and the, I think books are one of the great things with photography is you can see a lot of work from someone who you admire or maybe someone you don't. Yes. Um, Back before the internet, that's all we had was, yeah. was books. I mean, if you wanted to see Man Ray, you know, if there's no exhibit around, you got to go find, you have to find a book. Yes. You know, you have to order a book. And uh, I think that was kind of the golden age of books in a way. There were so many great photographers, so many great books, very creative books. But now with the internet, you can almost you know, I hope it doesn't replace the books, but you can, you know, search through an artist catalog much easier yes. than you could in the past. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just the, the amount of work you could see in a book and just having it at your fingertips is so nice. Yeah. But you don't have to. Yeah. But there's the tactile, there's the tactile experience of a book as well. And, and for me, the internet will never replace books. And in fact, I would say, for me, there's I think there's maybe a bit of a resurgence in books because I think people are now beginning to appreciate the value in one, even just doing a, a self-published book for their own work, for their own personal benefit. And then once they've done their own work, they maybe appreciate the benefit or the enjoyment of sitting down with their own book and then actually think, right, okay, which of which photographers and artists do I follow and do I enjoy, admire, respect? And you, people then begin to look at their work in books because, as you say, it's a beautiful tactile element, just being able to grab a book off the shelf, sit down, have a look through it. You're maybe not doing any work, mm-hmm. photography work yourself, or maybe you are, and, and you just get ideas and inspiration and just a bit of, bit of motivation and the juices flowing again, I think, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's so nice to have a, you know, you're, like I see you have a nice bookshelf behind you, you might just pull down a book that you haven't looked at in, in years yeah. and then you, you find something there that, that really speaks to you you say, yeah. Oh, that, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I need to, to, to figure out why, why does this move me? And um, how am I going to capture what I feel? How am I going to capture that with my own work? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. I mean, the <clears throat> photography books and art books in general are, are just are wonderful. And even the the auction catalogs, I saved the auction catalogs yeah. because you see a lot of photographs that you might not make it into a, a traditionally published book. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Exhibition catalogs are good as well, where where you can get a nice a nice selection of the work that you might not have featured in the book or 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 whatever reason. Yeah, and um, the one of the I think one of the sad parts is though if I go to a local bookstore, an independent bookstore. Oftentimes they won't have a very good photography section. Yeah. I found that if you go to the art galleries, you'll be able to find a book much easier, uh, you know, uh, because many of these books are only printed in a run of a thousand. So you're not going to see them in independent bookstores there. You're going to see them at the photo shows. Yes. uh, Or, or in the, if they're represented in a gallery, you'll be able to buy them at the gallery. Yeah, you might you, you sometimes find the odd specialist photo bookshop or art bookshop that's maybe got some, but generally speaking, they can be quite hard to find, as you say, when it's a small run of a thousand copies. That doesn't go far when you've got the number of bookshops and photographers around the world to have an interest in collecting uh, collecting books. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sometimes 
the photo fairs are the ones that I've, I've found that there's a really good variety. Yeah. And unfortunately we haven't had those in the last year and a half no. so much, but, but they'll come back around. Yeah. They'll, they'll, come they'll, they'll come back. I'm looking forward to attending some myself and trying to pick up a few, a few interesting books. Um, Cause yeah, everyone seems to talk very highly and very positively about them in terms of a great experience to be able to go and, and identify some new work. So um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it won't be too long. But uh, obviously, I'm assuming that you you obviously talk very much about your love of books. So I'd be really interested to uh, for you to share maybe three, four, or five of your favorite photo books from other photographers. Sure thing. I think the the first my first favorite book would be Examples: The Making of Forty Photographs by Ansel Adams. Yep, that's a book that showed how he made the print from the negative with 40 different images. And that was like witchcraft for me. I, I, I had no yeah. idea about the zone system for black and white or, you know, how does this incredible, this master photographer, how does he get these magnificent prints? Yep. So even though I didn't necessarily understand everything, I, I think I was about 16 at the time when I bought that. Right. Cool. And, you know, it slowly, slowly learned and learned and learned and learned. Yeah. And, and I think that was a really pivotal book for me at the time. Uh, the, the second book that kind of steered my path was the Michael Kenna's 20 year retrospective. Yeah. Uh, I never heard of Michael Kenna before. Didn't know he existed. And my folks uh, were at a, an, in Carmel, California, and he was at, had an opening and they bought one of his books and had him sign it. And they gave it to me for Christmas. And I, I was incredibly blown away by this work because at until that time I thought it was fine art black and white was like what Ansel Adams did yep. or Edward Weston did yep. maybe Paul Campanigro and this guy was photographing night pictures street scenes oh, factories sucks. yeah and and I I look back at what I photographed throughout the years in my youth and it was a lot of night photos street scenes and and foggy you know, benches and everything. And I, I was just so taken aback. I said, I didn't know that this was even possible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that would be my, my, the second one. Yeah. Uh, another book is a, a Nazareli book, uh, Masao Yamamoto's, uh, I think it's the, the scroll book where they publish it as a long scroll. Yeah. And uh, that was, that's pretty incredible is in terms of a, a book that's accessible it's not very accessible because it's a big scroll you have to yeah. have space yeah but every time you look at that it's a special experience yeah there's a, something tactile about it you have to make room so you can roll this thing out and it's more of an experience rather than just something that you flip through yes yeah you know, which is part which is part of what books are and and i think that's what can separate some books from others it's it's the experience of doing it that 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 the scroll is is more like a piece of art in itself as well as as well as the work that's on the, that's that's encompassed in it yeah no for sure and uh then and then and then the layout of how they lay out it's a one continuous page basically mm -hmm. how do you lay out the images in, in certain ways yes and you, literally i one time i took the scroll and i put it up on my wall as one long sheet and it, it works as one you know one image Group group show, right? Or yeah. group image. Yeah. Quite, it's pretty quite incredible. Yeah. 
Um, and then, of course, the I, I really like the books where you get a lot of bang for your buck. I, yeah. A photographer by the name of Jean Lucieff. Right. He's a photographer. I saw this book on sale at a bookstore and and it has about four or five hundred photographs of his. He's a French uh, fashion photographer. Right. And it's all black and white. And, and uh, I just love the love it because I get to see a lot of his work. And the book was about 60 US dollars. Yeah. Fifty dollars. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that I go back to. It reminds me a lot of you know, the very grainy 35 millimeter work, but Lovely. high quality printing, the tonality. You can learn a lot by looking at someone's you know fashion photography and um you know it's not all he's got landscapes and everything like that in it but yeah i'd never heard of this photographer before and, and it was just absolutely blew me away yeah um yeah. Uh, and of course any any book that has a, a, a lot of photographs in it to, to look through is good i mean yeah. one of my instructors uh said pictures pictures i love pictures <laughs> you know <laughs> give me more pictures yeah, you, you can't you can't beat it. And as you say, it's quite nice that I do bang for buck book every once in a while because uh, uh yeah, as you say, it's like if you've got someone's got a large body of work, it's it's great to look through and it doesn't need to be necessarily the same. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that's the Jean-Luc CF. He just um just incredible, you know, incredible stuff. Just uh I don't know. It's kind of hard to see, but yeah. Oh, really? Well, it looks good. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's a 40 years of photography book. So right, it is yeah. a retrospective. I mean, okay. how, how, how awesome, how awesome is this one? That is fantastic. A window with a little bumps hanging out of yeah, it. That's very, very nice. That's, 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 that's awesome. You know? Okay. So, yeah. And I mean, just, you know, any book that you can, any book that I have, I, I love looking at them. I mean, there's, you know, Foreman Hannah, who's a, a, a watercolor painter, uh, yeah. Magritte, you know, pretty much the, uh, you know, it's, it's good to acquire books. And then even if you don't like it, because maybe in a few years, you, you might end up saying, well, hey, that is pretty cool after all. Yeah. Because I know that everyone goes through different periods of their life where they might say, oh, I hate this kind of photography. So why did yeah. they even do that? But then maybe five or 10 years down the road, you 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 can understand it now yeah or your yeah your tastes have changed or what you're shooting has veered slightly is, is taken a different direction or you're doing a specific project that you think oh wait a minute that book actually really really connects and really ties in with what i'm trying to get across with whatever body of work you're working on at that time yeah i, I, I tend to agree i think books are fantastic i think it's great to widen your broaden your horizons as much as possible i certainly try and do it now and doing all these podcast episodes it's fantastic because i i hear of different photographers every single week that just it's just like blowing my mind in terms of some some new artists new photographers new bodies new styles of work to follow and, and take inspiration from and i can't go and buy every book because i would be bankrupt and i probably didn't have enough space <laughs> but at the same yeah. time you, you at the same time as you say this is i suppose this is where the benefit of the internet comes in is that you can begin to explore them online and you're maybe not looking through everything but you begin to get ideas for styles and and things like that which which i think is all great and um hopefully other people who listen to the episodes i certainly know a lot of people who listen to the episodes enjoy hearing all the book recommendations as well because i suppose it ties into 
who you are as a photographer and as an artist in terms of where you take your inspiration from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I like the, the Man Ray is kind of my current inspiration. I've been working on uh, solarizing uh, negatives. Oh, right. Uh, rather than solarizing the actual print, I solarize the negatives. So um, I, I got the opportunity to, to retouch some uh, original Man Ray photographs of several 10 years ago. Maybe. Fantastic. And I was blown away. One of them was a solarized uh, portrait. And I was just amazed at how incredible it was. And I, mental note, learn how Man Ray solarized his negatives. Yes. Um, and so it was in my head. And so I, about four years ago, I started working on this. And I have it pretty good. And so I've been working on a series of the, the, the solarized negatives, uh, both uh, trees, tree portraits, really. Lovely. And, and then I did some of the, during the shelter in place with the, the oak leaves that were just, you know, in my yard. Yeah. So, um, but I, I wish that there was more Man Ray solarized books out there. You know, <laughs> the Man Ray is just as solarized work, but um, yeah. Uh, and it's, 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 it's fun. You know, you want to keep, keep working on new things. Yeah. And things differently. And uh yeah, new challenges. New yep. challenge. And and what do you see, do you see yourself uh, self publishing or publishing more books in the future, or or is is that something that still holds appeal, or do you prefer exhibiting work or a combination of both? It's. I I think I think I need to. In the past, I I wouldn't. Mar I'm not good at marketing myself, and I'm not good at reaching out to try and um, approach new galleries. I I, yep. I I was never good at that. Um, so, like I said, with the, the Shinjo Sui book, originally that was going to be to send out to different prospective publishers. Yep. And I just never got around to it because, I mean, I'm not a good marketer. I don't, I don't know how to approach those publishers. The, the Nazareli Press publisher worked with Michael Kenna. Yep. And I met him through Michael. Yep. And um, just in conversation, I asked him if he'd be interested in publishing a book. And uh, I think it was a book of original prints, uh, the Angkor temples in Cambodia. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he agreed to it. And so then after that, I said, hey, how about if we do uh, a book of some of this work? And he, he said, you know, that's cool. Yeah. So um, that's how that came about. But as approaching new publishers, I, I just never got around to it. And I, I, I do have some book ideas and I need to, um, you know, some public. yeah yeah and i i know a, an acquaintance of mine arthur trest he he will he will look for a publisher for years for some of his projects he says i've been rejected by more publishers than you could imagine yeah so i guess his he's a he's a photographer that raised uh, came to fame in the 70s and early 80s and i guess so that's a testament is you just got to keep if one publisher doesn't want to do it, keep finding because someone eventually will want well, to publish. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I will look for publishers in the future. If not, maybe do something self-published self again. Yeah. I, I think that when you have a, 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 a an actual publisher print a thousand books, you, you're going to get a lot more exposure that way than something online. Yes. Because the, the blurb books, they don't, 
I don't know if I don't get any royalties from it. So I don't know how many they're selling. Right. Uh, also with a traditional publisher, I've never gotten royalties. Yeah. Um, I've always said, bring the cost down more so more people can buy it because as a photographer who sells prints, a book's going to sell more of your prints. So yes. if you have a book out, someone's more likely to spend the money to buy an original print. Yeah. yeah. No book. So yeah. it's a sales tool. Yes. Uh, that's the way I always looked at it. Yeah. So, you know, put the money into the book production or lower the cost, but I don't want anything out of it. I just want, you know, my print sales will increase from it. Yeah. Therefore, my, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, 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 that's a, it's a very interesting and a, a good way to look at it when you're when you take when you take that approach in terms of as you say it's it's a very good marketing tool and and that and mm-hmm. you then Chris I would I would agree when people picked up certainly picking up in the the books I've got from you the the work is stunning and I, and I can only imagine how beautiful the prints are as well so um, maybe one day I'll be able to. Maybe one day I'll be able to add a print to my wall at some point, but uh, at the moment books are what uh, what takes up all my space. But uh, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I look forward to, I look forward to following your work and seeing uh, seeing your next foray into uh, into the publishing world, but also just to follow the work that you've been doing. I've been following your Oak Leave project on your website as well, so that's really nice. Again, I love the contrast in, in the work that you've got of your triptychs, which works really oh. really nice. Great, thank you very much. Appreciate it, Yohan. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll have to send you something out, something at some point. <laughs> some, right. some outtakes. I'll send yeah. you some outtakes. Same, send me some, send me some outtakes. But, uh, but on on that on that note, Rolf, it has really been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much for your time. It's it's been really nice to to hear about your work. It's been lovely to talk to you about Japan as well. It's somewhere I would love to return to and do a bit more photography of. And and it's great to hear about your process as well. So uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, all the best. Great. Thank you so much, Ewan. I really appreciate it. Cheers.